Psalm 84 has 12 verses, 85 has uh, 13, and 86, 17. So we'll start out with 84 and see how far we can get. Psalm 84, this is blessings of going to church. By the way, this ought to fit in with you tonight. Blessings of being in the house of God. And uh, this is a Kohathite psalm. Remember, they were a special chosen group to bear personal things of the ark, or special holy things of the ark, of the, I should say, the, the uh, furnishings of the tabernacle, and the ark was one of them, as well as other things. And uh, so let's pick up in Psalm 84 and, and see what we can find here. It says in verse 1, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. The word amiable means uh, lovely or dearly beloved. How lovely are thy tabernacles. God's tabernacles, the place where God dwells. God dwells in his tabernacles, and he has through the ages past and even now. In the tabernacle in the wilderness, God dwelt in there, and the Shekinah glory in the presence uh, uh, in the, uh, behind the holy veil, the holy of holies behind the veil. They said there was a special glory and light that shined. They called it the Shekinah glory. And in the temple as well later on when it was built after the same order of the tabernacle. And then the Bible says Jesus came and tabernacled or dwelt among us. So he dwelt among us when Christ was upon this earth in a personal and living sense of the word. And then the church today. God tabernacles or dwells in his churches today. In every local church that uh, is true to his word. Jesus is seen in the book of Revelation is walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks or the seven churches. And he's in their midst and he said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And so the last word of Christ concerning the local churches was that he would dwell in their midst. If someone wonders the last word about the church, you read in Revelation, uh, the first chapter, you find in the midst of the seven candlesticks, verse 1, uh, the first chapter of Revelation, verse 13, first chapter, verse 13, it says, In the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. So, in the midst of the seven candlesticks. And down in verse 20 it says, uh, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels, and that is the messengers of the Lord to the seven churches. And it says, and it says, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And these were seven local churches of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Tyre, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. They were local churches of Asia Minor. And uh, there were many hundreds of churches, but these were pointed out as especially representative of God's dwelling places. And they were especially chosen for various reasons, not only local problems, but prophetic of the church age as well. And we have a whole other lesson on that. In the church of God, we learn about the nature of sin. We learn about the remedy for sin. We learn about the love of God in dying for our sins and His great plan of redemption for a lost and sinful world. I want you to notice verse 2 in our psalm. It says, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Here's the desire to go to church, by the way. 
My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. You know, true worship is far more than a religious duty or habit. Some people say, well, I have to go to church. Or you find people that uh, put a load on you about going to church. Well, it's not, we should have the desire. It says, my soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. If something in you doesn't cause you to want to, then it's not the proper motive anyway. See what I'm talking about? There's, there has to be that desire of yourself that wants to go. We can twist people's arms and say, you've got to go to church. We can, uh, we can over-persuade them. We can uh, do anything in the world. We can have all kinds of programs to get them in to sit on a pew. But what good does that do unless their soul is longing to go? Uh, and it says, And my flesh and my, uh, my, my heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. In Psalm 42 it says, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. The heart, H-A-R-T, the deer in the forest, panting after the water brooks, wanting to find a watering place, a place of refreshment. And it says, So panteth my soul after thee, O God. Do you ever become real thirsty to know more of God? And to be closer to God? That should be the desire of every Christian. Jesus said, Blessed are they that do what? Hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I'm glad that we have people that really and truly in heart want to draw closer to Jesus. Like Brother Jim saying, kneel at the feet of Jesus in the morning. Draw closer to God now and especially for hereafter. And uh, it takes... An inward desire, the desire to go. And it's more than just a religious duty or a habit. We like to form good habits. That's good. We should be in habit of going to church. We should consider it a privilege to go. But we should also realize that there must be more than that. It ought to be a longing for us to go. It ought to be a desire for us to go. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. Can you... Do you ever get this feeling? You just can't wait for Wednesday night or Sunday morning so that you can attend the house of God? Now, that's the real way we ought to feel about it. Some people have a kind of a dread of Sunday morning coming because they know they've either got to decide to go to church or not to go. That's no way to feel about it, really, is it? You ought to say, this is Sunday morning. This, you know, the, the, this is the day of worship. We're going to assemble together today and have a joyful feeling about going. And so that should be the desire of every Christian. You young people as well as uh, grown-ups, you, you boys and girls, you ought to want to go to the house of God and desire to go to the house of God and desire when you get in the house of God to hear the Word of God, right? And to be thinking about God's Word as the preacher is preaching and as he's teaching. Okay? And then, uh, I want you to notice verse 3. It says, uh, Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, even the birds. Uh, David envied the birds who had places that were sacred to them. You know, God takes knowledge of every sparrow that falls. And he says, are, Yea, are not you of more value than many sparrows? And if God takes knowledge of them and they find their refuge and their place uh, in the house of God, uh, uh, Yea, the sparrow hath found an house and the swallow 
a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even thine altars. It seemed like even God's house was a place of refuge for the birds, the sparrow and the swallow. O Lord God of hosts, my King and my God. Wouldn't be something to envy those that have complete trust in God's care. We sing the song, His eyes are on the sparrow, and I know He watches me. So if God looks at everything, and the Bible says even the very hairs of your head are numbered, we lose a few of them every day, and He knows those that we lose, lose too, don't, doesn't it? So, and look at the next verse. It says in verse 4, Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. Look, a blessed privilege to dwell in God's house. Notice, blessed are they that dwell in thy house. Not those that just occasionally uh, in the house of God that dwell in thy house. They live in it. They live in it as if the house of God is their very life. Blessed are they. That means a, a blessed privilege to dwell in the house of God. And remember the Psalm 23, it says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord, what? Forever, is what the last part of the 23rd Psalm. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you think that this day and hour when we assemble together and we get a blessing from uh, assembling and the fellowship we have and the singing that we have and the praying that we enjoy together and, and put up before the throne of God and then the fellowship around His Word and the teaching of His Word and what joy and blessing that brings to us and what assurance, think of what it will be to dwell in the house of the Lord, not just for a Sunday or a Wednesday night or a day or two a week, but in the house of the Lord forever. We'll be in a continual state of enjoying the constant blessings of God. And that's why the, why the 23rd Psalm, David says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. So look at this now. Verse 5. Well, verse 4 says, uh, Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. They will continue. Selah. The blessings will continue, and the, the blessings will continue to be of praising God as well. Look at verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them. The ways... His ways are the ways of strength. And blessed is the man whose strength is in thee. What are the blessings of spiritual strength? You know, a lot of times we look at our physical strength and we say, well, it may be uh, not as much as we'd like for it to be. Or uh, some may glory in their physical strength. But the Bible tells us that God is our strength. And blessed is the man whose strength is in thee. Zechariah 4, verse 6 says, It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. Not by our might, not by our power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. So it's God's Spirit that gives us strength. Turn the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And we're told to be that. To be strong in the Lord. Now listen. If we're to be strong in the Lord, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. To be strong, we have to have the strength that God has provided and he has a Christian armor for us to put on. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take, look, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand 
So it takes strength to withstand. In the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand in, a spirit, in spiritual strength against the wiles of the devil, having done all to stand. And then it says, stand therefore, therefore because you have this strength that God has provided. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, and put on the whole armor of God. Now then, it says, stand therefore, verse 14, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation. Take, that's a gift, isn't it? Take the helmet of salvation. You know, if I give you something, I say, here, take this. Would you take this? Well, it's a gift, isn't it? Take the helmet of salvation, we didn't earn it. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and I've pointed out time and time again to you that it's the sword of the Spirit. You and I take the Word of God, all right, but the Holy Spirit has to have the divine touch in wielding the sword. You and I can do... We're powerless without the Holy Spirit to wield the sword of the Spirit, and which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And Paul says, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Again in Ephesians chapter 3, I want to read something in verse 16. It says, That he would grant you, so grant means a free gift, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. So this is something that's of grace, isn't it? If God grants it. Ephesians 3, verse 16, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. Look at that. That God would grant you or permit you to be strengthened with might. Now look, by His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now where do we need that strength? In the inner man. Took out the door. Okay. Okay. Strength in the inner man. Now back in our psalm. Psalm 84 says, verse 5, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, it's in God, in whose heart are the ways of them. See, the ways of this strength, God's strength. Verse 6, Who passing through uh, the valley of Baca, or Baca as some say, make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. This is the place... Uh, of weeping, and we have blessings even a place of weeping. And then in verse 7, they go from strength to strength. Spiritual strength is increased. They go from strength to strength as we appear before God in this house. Someone says, I'd like to be stronger. Well, you, you have strength, and then you go from strength to strength by being in God's house. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. See, it's before God that we get this strength. In verse 8, notice it says this, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. God will not ignore an honest prayer. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a, of a righteous man availeth much. Now, we're not righteous on our own accord or own account, but we're righteous because we have God's righteousness given to us, and if we walk in the ways of God, then the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth what? Much. So that means that God pays attention to our prayers. 
if we are fervent in our prayers. Remember I told you about a lady, Miss Williams, up here, lived right around the other side of the Cree Meadows Golf Course. She's passed on now. One day I was visiting with her, changed some locks on her door for her, fixed them for her. And anyway, uh, she was getting feeble, kind of on her bed of sickness to where that she didn't get up. Finally, she passed away in her condition. But uh, she called me in there, and the maid was in there. And I went in and said, Brother Joyce, pray for me. And I said, I prayed for her. And she says, pray fervently. And I said, okay. <laughs> she says, pray fervently. And I said, all right. We prayed. Sweet lady. But anyway, uh, we find that uh, God expects us to pray to Him, and He does not ignore an honest prayer. And then we find in verse uh, 9, it says, Behold, O God, our shield, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. You know, God's anointed would be considered. The Kohathites, to whom this uh, poem or song was written, had learned to respect God's anointed. We could go back and give you the history of what happened back there. In Numbers chapter 16, let's turn back and look at it. They had learned to respect God's anointed. It took a little lesson from them. Number 16. Uh, let's read. begin reading with verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Izar. You have number 16, verse 1. The son of Kohath. Here you have uh, Korah was the son of Kohath. You have that? Number 16, verse 1. The son of Levi and Dathan and Nabiram. So you have uh, Korah and Dathan and Nabiram, the sons of Eliab. And on the son of uh, Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel. They got the congregation together. And they said, we're going to have a church split. That's what they did. I told Brother Hawks a minute ago, I like to keep that out of my vocabulary. <laughs> but it says, uh, certain of the children of Israel. Look at that. 250 princes of the assembly. Boy, they had some high ups in the assembly. Famous in the congregation, men of renown. So these sons of Kohath, especially Korah, they decided we're going to do something about Moses and Aaron. We don't like the way they're handling things. And they gathered them, verse, verse 3, they gathered themselves together against Moses. They were against him when they gathered. Have you ever noticed that? When people gather for the purpose, they're already against. And against Aaron, and by the way, they were against the Lord too, and said unto them, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy. In other words, everyone can do the job as good as y'all are doing it. Look at that. Every one of them. And the Lord is among them. God's among His people. And you know, Moses, you and Aaron, you take too much responsibility and, and uh, too much leadership. And after all, you need to share that with us because we're just as good as you are. And we can handle it. We can run the church just as good as you and Aaron. <laughs> That's what they were saying. And they had gathered all these people together, and they had some high ups, didn't they? They had 200, uh, what did it say, 250 princes, and, and famous in the congregation, men of renown. Look at verse 3. And the Lord is among them. Uh, wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord? Well, all Moses and Aaron were doing were filling their position. 
They were doing what God had called them to do. Moses was their leader, and Aaron was the spokesman as God had ordained and called them to do. They had a special calling of God. And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. And he spake unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near to him. In other words, if God has chosen someone, he'll cause him to come near. This do, take you censers, uh, Korah, this do, take you censers, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. You take too much upon you, you sons of Levi. So Moses said, I think you're trying to bark up the wrong tree in our modern day slang. In verse 8, And Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray you, you sons of Levi, Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that God, the God of Israel, has separated you from the congregation of Israel? Look at this. God had separated them for a special purpose, to bring you near to Himself, to do service of the tabernacle. They had a special service, place of service. And God had chosen them to bear certain vessels. Uh, of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them and he hath brought thee near to him and all the brethren the sons of Levi with thee and seek ye the priesthood also are you seeking to take the position of Aaron the priesthood also for which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered Moses was not unadvised as to their purpose was he he says for which cause this you are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you murmur against him? Moses says, why are you murmuring against Aaron? And Moses sent to call Dathan, Abiram, the sons of Eliab, which said, we will not come up. He says, is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of the land that floweth with milk and honey? Is this a very small thing to kill us in the wilderness except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us? Moreover, thou hast not brought us into a land that floweth with milk and honey. Here was their accusation against Moses. You haven't brought us into Canaan's land. You haven't brought us into a land that flows with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of the fields and vineyards. Wilt thou put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. So they refused to come up to Moses. And Moses was very wroth and said unto the Lord, Respect not thou their offering. I have not taken... One asked from them, neither have I hurt one of them. And Moses said unto Korah, Be thou and all thy company before the Lord, thou and all, uh, and they and Aaron tomorrow. And take every man his censer and put incense in them to bring before the Lord every man his censer. This is what they burnt the incense. 250 censers. All these guys that were rebelling. Thou also and Aaron, each of you his censer. And they took every man his censer and put fire in them and bathed incense thereon and stood in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron. <clears throat> and Korah and all the congregation against them under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the glory of the Lord appeared under, under all the congregation. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. That's what God said. He says, Moses, you and Aaron, get out of here. I'm about ready to strike this whole rebellious bunch out of the congregation. That's what he said. And they fell upon their faces and said, and this was Moses and Aaron praying for these guys that were trying to overthrow them. 
And, and they fell upon their faces and said, O God, uh, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Moses rose up and went unto Dathan, Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be consumed in all their sins. So they got them out up from the tabernacle of Kor, Dathan, Abiram on every side. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of the, their tents and their wives and their sons and their little children. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own hand. Moses was called of God to fill his place of service. If these men... Now look, this is what Moses said. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. Moses says, I'll give you this. He says, if these men die a common death, a natural death, he says, then God hadn't sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing and the earth open up her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertaining to them and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass as he had made an end of speaking all these words that the ground clave asunder that was under them and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertain unto Korah and all their goods." They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them. For they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed 250 men that offered the incense. Now back in our psalm. I, want, I said all that to say one point. Back in Psalm 80... Uh, 4 verse 9 Behold O God O God our shield and look upon the face of thine anointed This was a psalm that was written for the sons of Korah those that remained of his descendants and they took a long time learning to respect God's anointed didn't they? and look upon the face of thine anointed for a day in thy course and then he comes back to the house of God by the way you know, it wouldn't surprise me if God doesn't begin to do things that will cause people to show a little more respect to His house and His His uh, Word and His uh, commission. He's already doing some things in our nation and round about the world. And in the way of judge, judging uh, sin and idolatry, you know, things don't just happen to happen without God's purpose. You look around this world and you say, well, why did this happen? God has a purpose in all of it. And when people turn themselves against God, it says in Romans chapter 1 that He gave them over to a reprobate mind, a mind void of understanding. And that's where a lot of people are today. They're, they're in a mind and state, a mindset of understanding, of a void of understanding, because they will have nothing to do with God. You talk about atheists, it used to be. We've got more now in the world than there's ever been. And they're increasing. They've made it a religion now, you know. Madeline Murray, O'Hara. In fact, I saw a little short thing on CNN News just a while ago about it. Because her son, you know, 
was converted and he believes in having prayer and different other things. Her son had been converted and uh, she was still in her old atheistic ways and it showed her. Uh, you know, you can tell by the looks of some people that they just don't love the Lord. Honestly, you can. When you get this old standoffish, bitter, rebellious spirit, you can just see God's blessings upon some people and in their lives. And, and I believe every one of you that are here tonight, I can see God's blessings in your life. And not only in, in your face, but in the way you do and what you and how you live and, and the way you respect people and the way you try to help people and do things. It's just wonderful to see people that love the Lord and you can tell it by their actions as well as by their words. By what they do as well as by what they say. That's what I love to see. But anyway, uh, it takes a great deal to, to gain respect for God's anointed, God's house, and God's word. But these sons of Korah had to learn it the hard way, didn't they? <clears throat> I want you to notice. It says in verse 10, For a day, look at this, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. Talk about going to God's house, being in God's tabernacle, Dwelling in God's courts. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. The lessons learned and the blessings received one day at church are more valuable than a thousand days out of it. You ever thought of that? You stay away from the house of God. Where do you get an hour, two hours, like Sunday morning, Sunday school, and then preaching, or even Sunday evening, or even Wednesday night? Where do you get the same value hour for hour, anywhere else other than the house of God? Just ask you that question. You go out here on the job, you don't get it, do you? You you walk through the wilderness of this world during the day and you don't get it. You struggle with a business world all day long and all week long and you don't get that same spiritual value, do you? So, it says, a day in the, thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. What about serving God? I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. The honor of having the least job in the church is greater honor than the world can give you. Someone say, oh, I wish I had a high position in the church. What about the doorkeeper? That's a pretty good position. He says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Listen, whatever place you do in, in the church, whatever service you have, is worth much more than any other service you can do. You know, some people can lead the singing, some people play the piano, some people have special talents of music, and poems, songs, hymns, specials. Others are special in teaching. Others are, uh, fill the place of, of uh, cleaning the building, of doing a little work on it, of whatever. But it's all great in the sight of God. And it's all the same. Your job is just as important as mine. Everybody's place and position is worthy of... You know, Jesus, it says, John 13, Supper being ended, and uh, the devil having now put in the heart of Judas this character to betray him, the Lord knowing he, that he had come from heaven and would, would go to heaven, was going back to heaven, he laid aside his garments, girded himself with a towel, and began to wash the disciples' feet. They, they didn't know what he was doing. Of course, it was a custom to wash the feet of those visiting. 
because of the uh, country, because of the dress in those days. They wore sandals a lot of times. They went barefoot, and they became dirty, contaminated, or uh, they needed that rest and refreshment. And so Jesus began to do the work, uh, attire of a, of a servant, and he girded himself with a towel, began to wash the disciples' feet. Came to Peter, you know, and old Peter, he says, and that shows the humility and the, the point I wanted to make, the service here as the doorkeeper, the small service. But anyway, of a servant, he came to Peter and Peter says, No, not me, Lord. He says, You will not wash my feet. And Jesus said, If I don't wash you, I have no part with you. And he says, Not my feet only, but my hands, my head, and all over. I need a whole bath. You know, Peter went from one extreme to another. Don't do it. You can't do it. Now I want all of it. And then, remember, uh, Jesus says, you don't know what I've done now. But he says, you'll know hereafter. Well, they well knew what he was doing then. He says, you ought to wash one another's feet. You ought to forgive one another. You ought to serve one another. You ought to love one another. And that's what he was saying in, the, in the, his actual experience of washing the disciples' feet. And it's also another lesson there that we need daily cleansing. He says, He that is clean, he said to Peter, is clean every whit, and he needeth not save to wash his feet. In other words, if you're saved, your soul is saved, you're clean every whit. But you do need daily confession of sin because we daily walk in this world and become uh, take on the dust of this world, do we not? And we need this daily cleansing. There's not a one of us but what needs every day and every night before we go to bed, we should confess all of our sins and shortcomings and ask God to make the slate clean and to wipe out all the discrepancies and the things that were wrong and the things misspoken, the things that we uh, didn't think about that maybe at the time uh, they could have been better done or not done at all. We need to have a clean slate when we go to bed every night. And then we ought to start the morning with, Lord, thank you for a new day and help me to walk through this one a little better than they did the day before. We used to have the kiddos line up here, the boys and girls. It wouldn't hurt for all of us to sing it. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love Him more and more. I'd rather walk with the Lord and let all the world go their own way. And they, they will. They're going to go their own way anyway. So you better decide to walk with God and try to do the things that God would have you do. Let's go on down. It says, For a day, verse 10, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Who wants to dwell in the tents of wickedness? Dwell in the tents of wickedness and you suffer what the wicked suffer. Look at verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk, walk uprightly. The Lord is the great giver and the great protector. He's the sun. Look, the Lord God is a sun and shield. He gives the light of brightness of the sun. He's a shield. He's a protector. He will give grace and glory. He gives great things. The Bible says, No good thing will he withhold from them who, that walk uprightly. If it's good for us, he will not withhold it. Sometimes we say, well, he didn't give me that. I know that would have been good. Maybe we didn't understand what good really was. Maybe we wanted it. As James says, you ask and you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. 
If you trust in God, every good thing will happen to you and it will come about in, in due time. But we get over-anxious. And when we pray, we do not pray in the way that we'd ask it to be according to God's will. And sometimes uh, we're not walking uprightly either, it says in them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Let's look at Psalm 85. Lord, thou hast been, a fa- hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought, look at this, thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Divine favor is shown to the land. This is a revival psalm. Past blessings are enjoyed. Divine favor has been shown. It says, thou hast been, notice it's past tense. Do you ever look at a verse and see what God has done? Lord, Thou hast been favorable unto Thy land. Sometimes we pray and we pray and ask God to do things, and then when He's done them, do we recognize that He has been? And I think uh, Brother uh, Wendell often, and Brother Hawks, various ones, Ron, various ones of the men, always thank God for answering our prayers. That's well. That's what we should do, shouldn't we? Because He has answered many prayers. He is answering our prayers. Thou hast been. Divine favor. Christians uh, also have a spiritual inheritance. Look at this verse. Thou hast uh, been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Deliverance from captivity as well. The Bible tells us as far as you and I are concerned that he delivers us. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. I believe that's Colossians 1, 13, 14. 13 of 12 and 13. And uh, then we find that the Bible tells us that He has delivered, and He does deliver, and He will yet deliver. 2 Corinthians 1.10. You write that down for a text. It says, Who hath delivered us from so great a death, great death, and doth deliver, and whom we trust that He will yet deliver us. Past, present, and future. We've already been delivered from the penalty of sin by Christ's sacrificial death. We're being delivered now from the power of sin by His resurrection life and by His indwelling Holy Spirit. And we're being delivered. And He shall deliver us from every presence, from the very presence of sin when He comes again and we're going to be with the Lord in heaven. Past, present, and future. I'm glad already that we've been delivered from the penalty of sin. Aren't you thankful today that we're being delivered from the power of sin? But the most blessed thing is that one day we shall be delivered from the presence of sin, both from ourselves and it around about us. And then we'll know what true freedom is like, and true healing is like, and true peace is like. Have you ever thought what it would be? Have you ever thought what it would be to have no thought about sin? To have no carnal nature, to have no sinful thoughts or words or deeds or actions. Have you ever thought what it would be to have no sorrows, no troubles, no problems, no trials, no tears, no pain? If if I were to question probably everyone here tonight, with maybe the exception of the children, and some of those might even have that themselves, I would say that everyone here has some kind of an infirmity, some kind of something that hurts you. Either maybe just tired, tiredness, 
And that, in a sense, is pain. Did you know that? In a sense, that's pain. You say, well, I'm not really hurting, but I'm tired. Well, that's pain. What will it be like to be free as the wind? And free as 